this is when I had that lunch with that guy and he's like, you should be a boat broker. I'm like, no freaking way. And then <laughs> by the end no of lunch, no freaking way. And then here I am near four sitting in Marion mass, seven minutes from my house. And, loving, uh, loving life. Oh yeah. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have George Fearens of Oyster Harbor Marines. George is a yacht and boat broker. Hey, George, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Thanks for having me, man. So how uh, how's the business? This is it's the time. Good. Now's the time. We're in the middle of the Newport Boat Show. We just started setting up. It's more of a social event for kind of the New England territory because um, it's the end of the season. And it's it's a good time, but it's more of like lots of people walking around, socializing, looking at boats, kind of uh, maybe thinking about doing something over the winter, maybe not, but it's the beginning of the show season. So it's like Newport, Annapolis, um, Norwalk, Connecticut, Lauderdale, Miami, Palm Beach, Stewart. It's, it's, this is the start of it. Got it. So this is where like any manufacturers that have new models up in New England, they'll show them at this and then they'll bring them along to these shows wow. down through the, through the East Coast. Oh, that's interesting. So it becomes uh, basically a trade show tour. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, not really, but they're all in line with each other. And then February, uh, we have Boston. And then Miami is usually overlapping Boston. And then we're right back into putting boats in the water in March. So when is the best time? Uh, what is the most active time? So with real estate, typically, historically, the spring market is the active time. Is the fall market the active transfer where people? Uh, I would say that what I've learned is it's always busy with just different things you're busy with because people order boats now. So they want a boat like normally pre-COVID, they would they would start looking at a, a new boat now and thinking about over the winter, put the order in the manufacturer, would, you know, get the, the red boat with the purple stripe and the whole the whole deal would order them just the way they want. Then they would deliver them in the spring and then we're busy with deliveries. And, you know, this this job is not just a salesman. It's like half therapist, half mechanic, half captain, half salesman. You know, there's so many little facets to it that people don't realize. Um, so it's busy all year round. But I guess with new product, would be it would be probably, it used to be, the fall going into the wintertime, going to look at boats with people at boat shows, or having inventory on site, and then having them lined up for spring delivery. And when is the quote-unquote closing for somebody in your profession who's putting this deal together? So what happens is the manufacturer sells the boat to us. We in turn sell the boat to the customer. You know, we take a lot of, we also don't forget, we take a lot of uh, stock products too. Normally we're like a car dealer. Right. We'll have like, I mean, pre COVID we'd have like 20 to $30 million of the inventory sitting on the ground in Osterville. So if someone didn't want to order a boat, they just walked in and wanted to buy one. We had three different models sitting there that they could buy. Now it's a little different with COVID. We have inventory, but we just don't have as much as what we would like. How does that work? So you're not outlaying $20 million. So. They just, they just, they just, um, 
floor plan the whole thing, just like the car business. Got it. So they pay the juice. Yeah, they're paying the juice on 20 million bucks. And then, you know, the longer the boat sits there, the more expensive the boat ends up costing them. So we want to get rid of that aged inventory. Got it. So it's been good. It's been a lot of fun, you know, and they have me, they set me up in my own little office in Marion. They came to me and said, hey, you know, after I sold my little company, they said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to try to do something different. And uh, one of the guys who was a broker there at that at that shop, who I've known for 20 years, sold me my first boat. He's like, you should be a boat broker. I'm like, no, no. And then by the end of lunch, we had the office set up. We had boats getting delivered. We had my email. You know, he'd like walked me through the whole shop getting ready to get it started. Isn't that amazing, right? That mm. that one lunch meeting changed the trajectory of your career, yeah. your life in essence. Yeah. yeah. And now you're and doing I, what and now you're doing what you love. Yeah, and I should have done it 20 years ago, but I said I was going to say that, but then you and I wouldn't have met. So, you well, know, let's talk mortgage. about that. <laughs> let's let's talk about that. How did you find your way into this? Like let's start with uh little George first job. Yeah. So, yeah, first job was uh, working for Thomas Cook, which in turn was bought by, you know, I started at Thomas Cook. I came out of, I did the one-year program in college. I did one year and didn't do the rest. (laughs) (laughs) um, So, you know, my father owned a travel agency in Stowe, Vermont, and I said, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to work for my father. I'm going to be a travel agent. And, uh, he said, well, the only way you're going to be able to do that is there's a school in Cambridge, Mass that Thomas Cook owns. And Thomas Cook used to be like the, you know, the Walmart of travel agencies when there was travel agencies around. Right. He owned a mom and pop and these guys were a big conglomerate. And uh, so I went to their school. I learned their systems and I got a job right out of the school. And then like 60 days later, it was announced an American Express bought them. So then I became an American Express employee and still doing entry level travel agent stuff. And I spent like 10 years at American Express just working my way up, you know, like I'd I'd search, you know, at the end of the month, like what was available for jobs because we were in Cambridge and Cambridge is a big office for American Express at that time. There was like three or four big offices in New England. Cambridge is one of them. So I just kept working my way up and my boss was the head of the call it the sales group, you know, they sold credit cards and, and corporate travel services to companies. This was before we would all went online and did travel ourselves. They would actually have on-site travel agencies in WGBH, Fidelity, you know, all these big, big companies in Boston. And I worked my way up to one of the relationship manager guys. And then I turned into, you know, a sales guy and selling corporate credit cards because then there was a corporate credit card before every employee had a personal card, they would have a corporate card, so corporate right on it. And it was like a business card, you know, like you have a business card and now you have a personal card. Well, American Express was pushing corporate cards. So WGBH, you know, all these different customers of ours in Boston, um, Bain, they would have credit cards and we would outfit every employee with credit cards at the time because it was Diners Club back then. Yeah. Everybody had a diner's club card. And that was like the credit card if you carried if you were a business traveler. So American Express was getting into all that. And um, that's how I got in the sales business. Just, you know, so I never really went back to work for my dad in Vermont because I, I got a taste of the corporate travel world, which was completely different than selling vacations. Right. 
you know? Right. So where did you land from there? And then, um, and then I got a job. Um, so somebody came after me from another travel agency and they offered me a job and stupidly I took it, which was, I should have, my father said, stick with American Express. You can stay there for the rest of your life. And I was yeah. like, no, 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 no. And I wish all the guys that are, were with at American Express with me are still there today, retiring. I wow. mean, but whatever, you know, Hey. And um, so I went to work for another travel agency that in turn went out of business. So it was like, yeah, it was a short stay. And then I was the um, corporate sales manager at the Meridian Hotel for a couple of years because somebody had known me from the travel business and they said, hey, come over here and sell hotel groups and functions and all that. So I did that for a little while. Hotel business is a, is a tough business. Yeah. It, but, you're yeah, a re- but, but you're a relationship guy that people identify. Yeah, right away. it was easy. It was sales is sales is sales, right? Um, and then uh, I wanted to get out of that and I got into mortgage banking. And that's when somebody called me from the bank and said, hey, business is crazy right now. You should come, you know, we're a loan officer in a bank. I'm like, I'm not a banker. I'm a sales guy. He's like, no, it's easy. It's sales. It's fun. Talk to people, write loans, you know, refinance them, help them get a house. So you remember that guy, Chris Hodgson? No. Yeah. John, no, no. John Hodgson. John Hodgson. From the bank? Yeah. From the bank. He was like the number one. Called you and said, you'd be great at this. You'd be great at this. Yeah. There's a theme. There's a theme rolling here. (laughs) So I did it. And that's how I, you know, that's how you and I bumped into each other. And then, and then somebody, and then somebody who was my MI rep, for mortgage insurance said, oh, you'd be a great MI rep. You should come work for AIG at United Guarantee. So I was like, all right, let's go. Isn't that funny? Yeah, but it's all about who you know and who you hang out with and, you know, making sure you treat people the right way. And I tend to disagree. I think there's more to it than that, right? People well, are seeing like this, this gold and saying, I want to be a part of that. This, this person could, could make us better. Right. If yeah. we have this guy join our organization, we're going to be better and he's going to be great at it because he's been great at everything he's done. Right. So you oh, were I a great mortgage that. guy. I can say yeah. that. I remember that uh, early in my career. I'm glad we were able to stay in touch because you were a great guy. Right. Like how many people yeah. go in and out of businesses and it's like, I wonder what happened to that guy. Yeah. But we always have touch. like a, yeah, you always have like a, a pile, right. Of those people that you always like never forget. Right. You know, so it's good. And it's funny because I've sold boats to a lot of those people, you know, I'll, I'll just shoot them a little message. Be like, I'm in the boat business now. You know, I know I, I, I used to sell you an MI at the bank, but, and I've actually sold a couple of those guys boats. I mean, sure. it's crazy, but. Well, it's not, it, it, it's a reoccurring theme that I'm hearing. Right. I mean, it's, it's that genuineness that, good guy that uh people want to do business with oh you're doing boats okay well i need a boat so who am right. i my right. friend needs a boat who am i gonna tell <laughs> that george do it but tell me okay so so we're in the mortgage we go to mi and then yep. did you say you started a new co- a company yeah so i stayed i stayed with aig for like i don't know it was probably five or six years after the bank and um you know that was like 2004 five six seven and business was amazing. I tell, I, I relate it to like back in the Brinks truck up to the back of the house. I mean, it was crazy, the amount of money that we were making. And then, but also, 
being involved in credit and understanding how risk worked, I was looking at it with all these other sales guys who'd been around forever. I was the, I was the latest hire that they'd ever brought, the youngest hire that they ever brought in without any experience other than mortgage banking. And um, it was like, you could see what was going on because the, you know, the valuations, the appraisers, and then people started defaulting on these freaking things like crazy. And our office was in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is the mortgage in- insurance capital of the world. There's right. like four or five carriers there. And I would go to, to the home office and meet with the team. And I'd go up to claims and you used to walk down the hallway and the claims people were like, they did nothing. I mean, we had like, I'd go to see so-and-so about one claim that I had. Then after, as the year progressed you know 2006 2007 they had these piles of claims on their desks, oh boy. right and and we know because they were giving away credit for nothing and they were doing 100 percent ltv sense. home equity loans 80 10 10s 80 20s hey you have a 700 score and a pulse you're approved so right. then i walked down in like 2000 early 2008 and the claims were piled up in the hallways oh my and we were still writing that mind. We were still doing a lot of business, but I was like, this can't last forever, guys. I mean, we're, ta- we're paying like off our mortgages. We're making so much money. It was crazy. And, um, you know, one Friday in March, when everything else hit the, hit the shitter, that's when they called us and said, guess what? You're all out of a job. Sorry. Wow. We can't write, we can't write second mortgage MI anymore. Right. I mean, we had customers like, every major credit union and bank in new England, I had, I had a policy with them and I was visiting them and you know, every state had just done. And that was AIG who was big, big news. Yeah. Who the world ended because of, I mean, this is, this is mortgage backed securities. This is, this is all the things that took the world down sadly. Yeah. And um, now you hear they're doing it again a little bit. So. Yeah we're starting to hear similar things and, you know, history tends to repeat itself. I've been, I've been saying it for a while, you know, pay attention to those uh, loans that don't seem to make sense because they probably don't. So after AIG and the collapse and reflection and what are we going to do? So, so it was funny because in like late 2007, early 2008, I was watching this thing and I was like, I was like, you know, this isn't going to last forever. So my buddy owned a snowshoe company. And I said to him, hey, um, I might be looking for something new to do soon. I'm like, you know, let me take some of these snowshoes in my car because I'm traveling all over New England. I'm on an expense account. If I have some time in the afternoon, I'll, I'll stop by a shop for you up in Vermont or New Hampshire and see if I can sell them some snowshoes. He's like, sure. So I started doing that kind of intermixed with calling on my banks and credit unions. And um, we started selling snowshoes to all these stores. And then when, when we got the call in 2008, my wife's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to sell snowshoes. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I already started. I'm like, they all laugh at me because they come in in a blue suit into these ski shops and say, yeah. you want to buy some snowshoes? Oh. And they're like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be like a college kid with like, you know, jeans on and a, and a, and a Patagonia sweatshirt. Right. And um. So I took that and then I, and I went to, uh, I went to a big trade show out in Salt Lake city and just wandered around all these manufacturers booths. And I picked up bicycle parts, rock climbing gear, um, all these different brands and started a manufacturers rep group. 
Oh, cool. Which in turn was me in a green panel van traveling around New England with all my samples in the back and selling them to these these small mom and pop ski shops, outdoor shops. And um, and I was a one-man band for a while. And it was all great. And I got on, took on some other guys and girls that helped me throughout New England. And it was good. And a lot of the manufacturers started calling me because they 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 wanted a guy to pioneer new brands. Oh, nice. So I didn't get a lot of like existing brands. Like I got existing brands, but I didn't get Patagonia and I didn't yeah, get, yeah. you know, Kelty, but I got like RavX, which was like a knockoff from the bike part world. The the knockoff on the bike part world was great because during during 2008, 2009, all these guys that got laid off had bicycles in their garages and no income. So they brought their bike to the bike shop, got it fixed up with parts that we had sold them for cheap. And now they're out riding their bikes around getting in shape because they didn't have a job. And they don't want to spend top dollar because they're looking at their, their balance sheet saying nothing coming in. How much can I afford going out? Exactly. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, so then I had, so then like Amazon and that stuff started happening and like online shopping started happening and I could see some of these. And then we got into a little bit of, um, stuff where we were buying closeout stuff and selling it to TJ Maxx oh, cool. and you know like a, I wasn't a big player in that but I bought a couple of containers of things and like resold them to TJ Maxx I was like oh this is fun and then oh, so you're the early early uh drop shipper the kids yeah yeah so that. then but so you're then, an entrepreneur you're a hustler yeah, you're making just, it happen yeah I was just trying to make money for my family right and keep everyone surviving and then I had four, four, like four and a half, five guys, girls working for me. And they, they didn't like the fact that I was the air traffic controller sitting in my office at home, making mailbox money. And they were out running the roads, but I had run the roads for three years, yeah. setting them all up. So they said, well, we can do this better than you. We can, we can, you know, we'd rather do this ourselves. I said, all right, so here's a number and you guys figure out how to come up with this number and you can have all these lines and I'll talk to the manufacturer. You guys do it yourself. And it wasn't like a bazillion dollars. Right. You know, it was enough for like sticking my retirement fund. I know I still have to work for the rest of my life. Right. So I sold it to them. They're doing their own thing. They're sadly not doing very well because COVID hit, uh, Amazon yeah. Prime hit, everything hit. You know, no one goes to a ski shop unless they're skiing to buy a jacket. Right. You, right. you don't you don't go to one of those shops. You go online, you order three different sizes, see which one fits, send the other one back. Sadly, that's what's happened to retail right. in America today. So I'm happy to be out of the retail wholesale business. And this is when I had that lunch with that guy. And he's like, you should be a boat broker. I'm like, no freaking way. And then by the <laughs> no end of lunch, way. no freaking way. And then here I am near four sitting in Marion, Mass, seven minutes from my house. And, loving, uh, loving life. Oh, yeah. Loving life and being a consultant to people that, you know, it's it's funny People say, you know, you have to have a, a mortgage banker, a lawyer, a boat broker, an accountant, if you're in a, if you're a boater, you know, right. um, or a car salesman or whatever, you know, everyone has like a list of those people. And I was in the mortgage business is always important to me when someone said to me, you know, you're my, you want a mortgage banker for life, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of what this is just in boating. And you take the things you know about boating and fishing and being on the water with your family and you turn it into being a consultative salesperson and just people buy from people they like, you know, I learned that I used to tell that to my guys all the time and they're on the road. Like, how do you, how do you sell them so much shit? And I'm like, you just walk in and be a good person. Yeah. 
And if they have a return, you take it. You don't even you don't even say you say nothing about it. Just bring it home. We'll figure it out. We'll get them a new piece of equipment for no charge. You know, bring them cookies, bring them donuts, bring it whatever. All that tchotchke stuff that we've learned in sales. Just be a good person. Just be nice because people buy from people they like. And that's that's what's happened to me. I mean, I've, I've this thing now four years has turned into I've sold some people two and three boats, the same person. In four years. In four years. Now those are a little those people are crazy because boaters are crazy and they love boats. You know, it's like it's like if you're a cyclist, right? You know, you might have like three or four different bikes because you love bikes and they all do a little bit different things. But what you know, your wife says, Why do you have another bike? Oh, this is different. This one shifts quicker, this one rides better, this one's lighter, but you still have your collection of other bikes, right? Yeah, golf clubs, same thing. Yeah, same thing, right? Same thing. Tell me, about, tell me about the mindset of the boater. You started to say, you know, you're 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 so many different things, one being a psychiatrist. People yeah, well, part of it is through it. Yeah, part of it is, and I've talked plenty of people out of buying boats too. I bet. And I think that's the right thing to do too, because you know, they come to you and they say, like, there's no perfect boat. For anybody, there's no perfect kind of, anything. By exactly, the way. exactly, and people look at boats and go, "Well, I love this boat. I can go fishing with my kids, but I can't sleep on it, yeah. or I can't, I can't uh, cook on it, or I can't do this." But boy, I can really run around and have a great time with my kids fishing. Um, so there's no perfect boat. So the the benefit to that is, it's we're always going to be we're always going to be busy, and we're always going to be talking to people about trying to find the perfect boat. So that helps. And then if you treat people right and you do the right thing to them and you help them, I mean, I've, I've delivered the boat from here to Connecticut. I've, you do these extra little things that, that help people. They remember you. They want to come back to you and say, you know, I had a guy call me last week and, and I sold him a boat. He in turn sold that boat, but another boat without my help, which was totally fine. And he called me to tell me because he had like guilt about it. He goes, George, I bought this boat. I'm sorry I didn't use you, but it was a it was a private party thing. I go, don't worry about it. He's like, but I promise you, when I sell this boat, I'll call you back. Sure as shit, last week he calls me. He's like, I'm moving to St. Louis. I got a new job. And I'm gonna and, and he's in Marblehead, which is not easy for Marion, Massachusetts, like two ends of the earth. Right. But we have an office in Danvers, so we can work it out and figure out how to sell the boat, no problem. But it was just it was a perfect example of, hey, I did my job right. I did what I'm supposed to do. Make people happy. You treat them right. They come back. You know, it's um, it's important. It's important how you treat people. And, yeah. And, and we deal with crazy people, too. I mean, just well, like home so, buyers. Well, you know, it's funny you, you jumped to that because that's what I was thinking. Obviously, this is a luxury item. Not everybody can afford to have a boat. Not everybody can afford to buy a house. But your role in working with people and purchasing and selling boats sounds very similar to a lot of the real estate agents we've interviewed on this podcast. Right. It's consultive, it's uh, therapy, it's talking them through anxieties and fears and hopes and dreams and visions and letting them know that there is no perfection. We can, we can seek right. it, but just understand we're never going to get there. Right, and when you go through a process like buying a house or buying a boat, buying a boat is very much like buying a house you have an appraisal you have financing you have buyers and sellers you have commission 
Uh, you have uh, surveys, which are like home inspections. You back go back and renegotiate after the survey or the home inspection, same thing. Um, so there's a lot to it. And it's, it's just, and you know, the thing is, um, one, one of the reasons, like the, the general manager of the boatyard came to me and goes, you've been successful this first year. You really hit it out of the park in Marion. How, how do you, how you, what are you doing? And I said, you have to be involved in the community. You have to be the guy that goes to Rotary. Not that we go to Rotary anymore, but you know, you have to be the guy that's on the soccer field with your kid and you have to be re recognized as, Hey, there's the boat guy. You know, right. he's the, Hey, George, come over here. I want you to introduce my friend, Jimmy. He wants a boat. Like everybody wants a boat. Everybody. I want a boat someday. I want a boat someday. And you just have to like go back to your office, make a note of it. I have this file of people that are looking. I just call it my looking file, yeah. you know, and I have Jimmy met at soccer looking for a 23 regulator friends with Steve Wyman. If I want to get back to Jimmy, maybe I didn't get his info. I'll call Steve. Hey, Steve, I found a boat for your buddy, Jimmy. Did you ever find one? Like, you know, it's just a, consultative sales thing you know and it's networking and it's, it's not easy if you don't live in the community i've lived in this community for 20 years so it's been very good for me and people like you yeah well, trust you. try to try to treat people the right way so let me ask you this if a boat is being listed by another broker do they co-broke similar to the the real estate industry that they're, they're the only difference is they have the ability not to co-broke so right today, it's difficult. Anything that's valuable or anything that's, um, you know, a high-end kind of uh, something that's people are chasing down, they can put in the M our MLS system, uh, no co-broke. Is is what is the system called, the brokers? Uh, it's called Yacht World. Got it. Yeah, it's, 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 it looks just like Realtor.com. I mean, it's the same thing. So how does a buyer find that boat if... So that boat, so, so that boat, there's, it's funny because there's one system in America that runs wholesale and retail uh, boat sales, and it's called Boat Trader or Yacht World. There's two different names for it, but it's the same thing. There's a consumer side and there's a wholesale side. Got it. So you don't see the no co-broke on their side. But when I go in and see the listing, I can see it. I can see. So now, like, if I want to, you, you know, you're a broker that I know, maybe we've done business before. I'd be like, Mark, you, you said no co-broke. Will you do will you do me a deal on this thing? And if we're friends, you'd be like, yeah, sure, we'll do it, no problem. But he he just doesn't want every Tom, Dick, and Harry calling when he has the ability to make the full commission on the boat versus splitting it with another broker. And what is that commission typically? In the so it's 10% on a broke, on a, on a used boat, but you immediately split it with the house. And my house is Oyster Harbor's Marine. That's why I work for her. So they get five and I get five. So now if I split it with you, now we're down to two and a half percent. Got it. So it's getting pretty skinny. Unused. How about on purchase? On purchase, it's all different based upon the profitability of the boat. You know, what we buy it for versus how much we mark it up. So new boats are, they're more expensive. The commission is lower, but you know, on a two million dollar boat, you know, it can make 70, 80,000 bucks, right? Because the cost of the boat goes up, even though the commission's a little bit lower. Um, it's probably if you're a good used guy, you can make a lot of money in the used boat world. But having the new boat business, like we, I work for like the Ferrari dealership of boat broker, of boat business, you know, we sell 
the top four or five brands in America. We're the number one regulated dealer in the country. Regulators are like the top selling center console in New England. Yeah. Um, we sell Vikings, which are big, you know, uh, sport fishing boats. Uh, we sell a lot of the top brands. So we're lucky because we get the new boat leads, but we also get the used boat leads because people will come to us and say, hey, uh, I know you're a regulated dealer. Can you sell my used regulator? Because you have people coming to you Got looking it. for. So it's having those brands. It's better than just being kind of. And, and, the, and the brokerage guys and like the new boat brokerage guys all kind of like they kind of argue which is better. But I'd much rather have all those brands hanging up on my office wall to say I sell all these new new brands. It's just a nice kind of feather to have in your cap. Let me ask you this. Um, so consumer goes online, sees that beautiful boat being sold in Newport, Rhode Island by somebody else, but wants to bring you in. Is there ever a, a buyer? New or used? Uh, either. Call uh, it new? Used. Uh, used, Yes. They'll, they'll, they, they should, what they should do, and they haven't really learned this in the industry as prevalently as they have in the real estate world, but we're buyers, brokers too. Right. So like my good customers will call me like, George, I'm looking for, and especially some people who aren't as web savvy, they don't want to sit in front of the computer and search for boats. They say, George, find me yeah. this boat, this, this, this style, you know, this price range, whatever. And some of them, you know, before I even put them online, I keep them in my pocket for two or three weeks before I put them out on there because that gives me the ability to make the full commission instead of put them out on the MLS. Right. So that person, what about the one who is online seeking, figuring it out, but it's it's one of those, there's no Cobra or you, you're looking for them and you see no Cobra. You make the call and say, can Just we tell them? You just tell them, hey, this guy's won't work with me. I'm going to call him. I always make the call and yeah. just say, hey, because we're a big outfit. We're one of the biggest in New England. Um, we're probably there's there's like five or ten big boat dealers in the country, and we're probably one of the top ten. Um, I will always call and say, hey, this is George from Oyster Harbor's Marine. Um, any chance you'll and some of them are just like, nope, sorry, can't help you. Yeah. And, they, and then I say, OK, and I just give my customer their name and number and say. We'll get you on the next one. Good yeah, luck. If you have, yeah. If you have, you have any questions. questions. I've answered lots of questions for people that are going through the sales process that I'm not getting paid for at all. But you know what? They come back. They, yeah. You know, it's just being a good person. It's a long game. Yeah, that's the thing. And I've, I've been sold to so many times, Mark, and bought so many things in my life. I've been lucky to have bought a few houses and cars and boats and and I just know what it's like to be treated poorly, mm. you know, and not to say that all my transactions were uncomfortable or, or, or treated poorly, but I just know what it's like because it's happened. Because sometimes you are right. Sometimes yeah. You know what excellent service is and you know yeah. what being treated poorly is. It's so much more fun staying at the Four Seasons than it is staying at the Holiday Inn, right? Might as well treat people like they're at the Four Seasons. Right. You know? Right. you know, it's it's funny you say that. I always uh, refer back to the Maya Angelou quote of, you know, people aren't going to remember what you say. They're not going to remember what you do, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's what this business is all about, because it's a huge purchase. You know, they bought their house. They did that. But now this is a they don't need to buy a boat. Right. Boats are boats are 
extra, right? But so they're going back and forth in their mind. Should we do this? Should we not? Yeah. Do this? And I'm dealing with someone buying a $20,000 boat. It's just as emotional as buying the $400,000 boat yeah. for that. Because it's $20,000. Like people, people come in here and they go, I love this boat outside. How much is it? It's 175000 <laughs> Their house wasn't 100000 Well, years yeah. ago, right? Yeah. Like, how can people... And then you talk to them about financing, and then you talk to them about the bank. And, you know, a lot of times people don't realize you can finance boats. Well, tell me yeah. about that. I was going to ask yeah. about that. So how does that work? Yeah, so we have... There's no, no relation to us at all. Yeah. But actually, one of the banks I used to work with in the MI business... Um, they own one of the largest marine lenders in the country. Gotcha. So um, uh, out in Whitensville, um, it's, uh, it's not Unibank. Yeah, it is Unibank. Unibank owns um, Sterling Financial. Got it. And they've, they're the biggest marine lender in the, in, the, in, the, in the country. And they go all over. They cover the whole country and they have mortgage or I don't know what they call them lenders and they write boat loans just like and how do they what what are the what are the rates compared to like home purchase? they're pretty good i mean they I do don't. like 10 and 20 year term well they don't do 20 year they do 10 and 15 year terms they do you have to do 20 percent down on most deals and it's anywhere from three to five percent and they, secure, good. they simply securitize that on title like you would a car yep That's yeah true. and they don't actually and some boats they can't do with a title. It's just like a personal loan. I mean, it's, you know, some boats, um, a certain size boat and up, they can do a Coast Guard bill of sale and documentation through the Coast Guard. So there's actually a lien yeah. on the document that exists for that boat with the Coast Guard. But yeah. some little boats, there's there's nothing. I mean, it's, they put they put a lien on the title of the boat, but. Right. And maybe a UCC filing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly. But the Coast Guard filing is a big deal because that Coast Guard tracks that boat like a mortgage. And what size boat qualifies? It's like 26 feet and up. Got it. Yeah, there's Got some it. different requirements. but So let me ask you this, George. Somebody who's passionate about boats and has a good personality, is this a career that you would recommend? Um, you got to be thick-skinned. Okay. Because, you know, there's, and the thing is, you have to have, I guess, a couple of things, practical knowledge of boats. And I don't mean you can't just like boats. Yeah. Because I have customers all the time that buy a boat and they go, well, how are we going to fix this? Or how are we going to solve this? You have to have a network of people that you can rely upon to call and say, hey, my customer just bought this boat. The air conditioning isn't working right because yeah. boats are never working correctly. You know, they're they're always it's always something. Yeah, it's a boat. It's a boat, and that's a fact, huh? That's a fact. That's a hundred percent. Prepare yourself for that, folks. Prepare yourself. Break out another this, thousand. Is what this they is say. a good guy telling you the truth here? Yes. So you have to have a good network of people to be able to help them make ownership enjoyable. Right. Because we have these people who have extra money, who are usually busy, are usually like, you know, head of household or head of a company or own their own business and they want a boat. They want to make that transaction and the ownership process as easy as they possibly can. So you have to have a good network of people to help you 
um, get them the things that they want to get done with their boat. Because people call me all the time. I sold them a boat last year. Hey, George, I'm having a hard time getting my air conditioning fixed. Who do I call? Oh, let me give you the number. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting, the similarities with a real estate professional, right? The really good ones. They obviously they've got the attorney, they've got the lender, but they got the plumber too. And they've got the plumber, they've got the electrician, they've got the landscaper, they've got all of these outlets for people to have a successful, you know, uh, journey with their ownership. Right, right. So, so there's that part of it. And there's the other part of it when you need to know how to physically run boats and manage boats and tie them up and wash them and clean them and take care of them and maintain them. And you need to know enough about these boats to be dangerous, as I say, because I've been boating my entire life. I work with sales guys who have not, and it's a struggle for them. Yeah. It's not like real estate. You can't say to your wife, who's a bubbly connected pretty girl, you know what? You should sell real estate. There'll be no problem for you. Yeah. And they go and they sell real estate because they're connected. They're bubbly. They're attractive and they have connections. No, it's, it's, I've been boating my entire life and I understand these things and you can help people move boats and you understand trailers. And it's, there's just a lot to that whole mechanical part of it. And I'm sure there's some guys who sell mega yachts in this world that don't know the first thing about a mega yacht, but they're connected and they're good guys and they have a good Rolodex of people. They can help them move the boat back and forth or deliver the boat or get the boat fixed or get them. The other thing too, today that people are having a hard time with is getting storage places to put boats. So we have to have a Rolodex of marinas and people that will, you know, want a good person that's going to come pay their bill. Right. Not just some slouch. Right. Right. So let me ask you this, George, if someone were to have worked with you, whether on the buyer side or on the seller side of a boat, and they have this experience, what does their review look like? So they're going to go on Google, they're going to go on Facebook, they're going to go wherever they can tell the world what an amazing job mm-hmm. you did. What does it sound like? Um, it's going to say that George helped them with every step of the transaction, because there's a lot of steps. You know, even it doesn't matter if the little, it's funny, the little ones sometimes are more painful than the big ones. So I think, I think they're going to say, and I've heard people say it to me, they've come in here and they've said, you found the boat, you went and looked at the boat on your own accord, you came back, gave us a good review of the boat and said, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you should come look at this boat. We go back and look at the boat together. We line up the surveyor, like the home inspector, we do all the financing if they want it. And they call you a year later looking for paperwork or bills or something, you have it. So you just have to, I think the best review that I've ever heard is just take them from, from, from beginning to end, hold their hand the whole entire way. If they need it, if they don't need it, they'll let you know. And uh, be there for after, after care service, as we say, you know what I mean? I love it. I love it. People listen to that. I mean, if you are in, um, the in the market for a boat if you have a friend that's in the market for a boat i mean is there any more authentic good guy in the business right yeah and that's what you want to be right and and those are the guys that are very successful in this business the guy that got me into this business has been doing it for 30 years you walk down the dock we go to we do a fishing tournament every year in nantucket and he's the most chill guy that you've ever met and 
he walks down the dock and you cannot walk five feet without someone saying, Hey, Ben, Hey, Ben, 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 Ben. And it's like, I feel bad for the guy because he can't go off fishing with me for the weekend, but he got me into this. And you know what the nicest thing about Ben is what's that? And we're all salesmen is he always says, have you met George? Oh, I, I love I, that. Oh, I mean, it's better than, and, and, and I've been in sales a long time where sales guys don't want to introduce other sales guys. It's like, you know, they feel yeah. like that, right? Scarcity, right? We talk about yeah. that a lot on this podcast is the abundant mindset versus the scarce mindset. Yeah. And so Ben has introduced me to a small sliver of his, of his book, right? But yeah. Ben's going to retire soon. Ben, ben wants, if it's going to be me or it's going to be someone else, doesn't matter. But I'm just saying, like, Ben wants somebody to say, you know what? Call George. He can help right. you. I'm out of the business now. Yes. And he knows we've never stabbed each other in the back. We're always generous with, to each other on our commissions. We always work together. I, I go down there and help him. He comes back and helps me. And he's been my mentor. And thank God for him. Because in the first year, I called him every five seconds yeah. trying to figure out how to put something in the computer. And he helped me, even though he's like, I don't need this shit. I, I'm doing my own thing. Why did I bring this guy on? Right. right. But I'll tell you, it's amazing how kind he is to me when we're in those situations, just introducing me to that guy who may or may not end up buying a boat for me down the road someday, right. which has happened. He's giving me deals. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you're on this podcast, you're sharing your story, your authentic truths. You know, you're being, you're, 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 you're pushing the envelope, the, the comfort zone. A lot of what we love with the comfort zone pushing, we talk about it a lot, especially mm -hmm. on this podcast, but with our team and family and everything is the, is the beauty and the art of karaoke, allowing you that opportunity. Mm. George, you're up next on the mic. What are you singing? I thought about this a lot and, um, I've only sang karaoke once in my lifetime. Do you remember what you sang? Yes, vividly. <laughs> what, what was it? It was Right Said Fred. Oh. I'm too sexy. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> did, that, did that give you the impression like, I am never doing this again, or I loved it so much, I can't wait to do it again? I'm never doing it again. It was <laughs> one of... And the funny, the really, really funny story about that is my buddy and I were in a uh, bar in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Okay. And I was renting a house. Jill and I had just moved into White Cliffs, which is like a condo complex. Yeah. And um, my buddy had come over for the weekend to see the new place. And I said, hey, we can walk to a, a karaoke bar. Nice. Or a bar that had karaoke, I guess, like Wednesday nights or something. Yeah. So we go down there and uh, he and I have the same kind of we're big, we're big dudes, you know? And um, I said, you want to sing karaoke? He said, hell no, I don't want to sing karaoke. And I said, uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I don't know how we came up with the song, but I think at the time it was popular or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was Right Said Fred, I'm Too Sexy. So we get up there. <laughs> well, there's the, the fun in that song. Yeah, too. right, it was funny, it was funny. So we're up there singing, we're taking off our shirts, you know, we're being all stupid. And um, so the, the, the following week, we did an awful rendition of it as wow. well. But the following week, we uh, <laughs> I'm looking at homes to buy my first home. Yep. And and uh, the realtor walks in. She goes, where do I know you from? And I go, 
I don't know. I, 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 first time I just called you on this listing. I want to look at this house in Plymouth, the ponds of Plymouth. And uh, she's like, do you sing karaoke? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thankfully, it was before the time of YouTube, right? Yeah, exactly. Before cameras and phones. And... Oh, my goodness. So she saw the she saw the performance of Right Said Fred. I'm too oh, sexy. Oh, that is so funny. And anytime I hear that song, like because it's an old song, I hear it on the radio and I just kind of drop Put my your head. Your head shame. Oh, and I always laugh with my buddy Mike about about um the fact that we did that it was like that's was awesome crazy. Uh, so i i just i just love how you're willing to share because you know a lot of people would want to bury that and um oh yeah i appreciate you know your candor i appreciate you very much now the most important question of them all is someone's looking for a boat looking to sell their boat how do they get in touch with you george Farron? so i've i've done i've you know and at at my age, I'm not, I'm not a young guy, but I really have discovered social media and it's really worked. Um, it, it's the best form of, you know, people love looking at pictures of boats. I, I know before social media, I would go through Yacht World and Boat Trader and just look at these boats, right? We called it boat porn. You know, we just sit in front of the computer looking at all these different boats and kind of imagining, can I, could this boat be the right boat for me? And, you know, um, folks, but, I know you can't see George because this is audible only, but I'm enjoying <laughs> his background. It looks like he's sitting on a boat with a nice big wake in the open ocean. Kind of. It's probably the best background I've seen to date yeah. in this new Zoom world. So thank <laughs> you. So I I found um, that Instagram um, and and Facebook have really worked well for me. And I work for Oyster Harbor's Marine. You know, I'm I'm a I'm an employee of them, but I but I do my own kind of social media. They do their own as well too, but I kind of do my daily routine there. Um, every time I sell a boat or I have a boat for sale, and I've sold a number of boats just from people who follow me on social media. And They've where told is other that? people? Um, that's yeah, that's Instagram. It's uh, I think it's called uh, New England. Um, yachts right yeah new england yachts exactly joy if you type in george Firons, it comes up um new england yachts and facebook is george Firons yacht broker you know if you would type in stuff on instagram and it's automatically populates on facebook that's how i have it set up so those two feeds are the same oh great um but yeah and and you go to oysterharborsmarine.com and i run the office in marion mass and i cover from uh new boat sales uh wareham to uh, Newport, Rhode Island, and brokerage boats. I have my license in Florida. We go all over the country, uh, you know, fear, buying fear, and selling used boats. Fear not, folks. Uh, pun intended. Fear not. The all of the links below in the Instagram and the Facebook and the number to contact George will be listed below as well. And what's that number, George? Uh, 508-353-9684 is my cell phone and. We work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. George, thank you for sharing. We really appreciate you joining us. And Hey, uh, no problem. It great no problem. It's good to connect again, man. It was fun. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for coming. Okay. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. 
And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S E C U R I T I T L E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.